Hello and welcome to Inequality Talks, a podcast from the volunteers of the Economic Inequality Group at Mellanfaltlit Samvirke, Aarhus. Today we will be talking about automation. And if you're not quite sure what that is, then this episode is perfect for you. Because today we will be delving into the basics of what it is, what the near future of automation looks like, and what initial prospects and worries are on the horizon. I am Edward, and today with me are Adam. Hello. And Virginia. Hello. Let's start with hearing about um, your sort of background on the subject. Uh, how did you get, sort of get into this topic and... Uh, And, you know, why are you interested in the first place? Okay, I studied uh, engineering and I'm working with that uh, now. So, of course, uh, uh, it's an important par- part of my background. But uh, um, until uh, a few years ago, uh, I had never asked myself uh, about uh, the negative effects of automation on society because this was not part of my background. So it was uh, just... Uh, hoping uh, for the best and all the fantastic innovations that uh, this uh, can bring. Uh, but uh, um, yeah, I think with the volunteering here at uh, MS or uh, by reading uh, other stuff on my own uh, in the last year, then I started to question uh, more um, in depth some um, aspects that are not usually covered in the engineering studies. Uh, so that's why I was very excited to do this podcast and uh, be able to know more about uh, also some controversial aspects. Nice. And then what about you, uh, Adam? Yeah. Um, anyone who's listened to some of the other episodes, I think I've mentioned automation a few times. Um, I kind of come almost from the opposite direction from Virginia in that I don't know very much about the technicalities of, of engineering or robotics or anything like that. I think I originally... When I was very young, I read a lot of science fiction. I still read a lot of science fiction, but I read a lot of classic science fiction. And I was I was very much sort of of the opinion, or I believed that the issues in society, well, obviously we just didn't have the technologies, we didn't have the tools. And as soon as we got those technologies or tools, um, everything would be fine, like we'd work things out. And as I've got older and studied a bit more about sort of economics and, and how the world works, basically, I've realized that often we do have the tools, it's just how you apply those tools that's that's important so i moved from being sort of very sort of a techno utopian to being more sort of okay technology is really important i still believe that but we've got to work out the systems by which we use it and the ways in which we develop it um so i now come of it out of it from a sort of more i've read a lot of stuff from the more utopian uh literature side but also certain sort of left accelerationists as it's called which are people who think automation is great on the left and it'll usher in some new stuff um But I also have my own uh, criticisms of it. Nice, cool. Well, speaking for myself, I um, I didn't know much about it either, and I hadn't really thought a, a lot about it, especially not in sort of a societal sense. But um, but it, it'll be interesting to hear what you guys have to say. And uh, I think like I'm mostly the host for today, so uh, I will try to um, to come at, come at this from a fairly sort of um not knowing much perspective and I'll try to get you guys to to um put some words on on what is happening here and and how we should uh, should think about it in the future so um let's start with some of the basics here like um what is automation exactly do you guys have a a good definition uh, of of what what this is 
Uh, automation is a very generic uh, word, okay, that just uh, defines an automatic process, so uh, usually enabled by the technology. Uh, so uh, this then uh, isn't only a, um, a recent uh, word about futuristic stuff, but uh, it can actually, uh, yeah, it can actually be referred to uh, many things, uh, especially uh, from the engines invented during the first industrial revolution, okay, to, yeah, uh, to the computers, to the uh, latest developments or of artificial intelligence. Yeah, I mean, I, I very much agree with that. It's really anything that, like, you no longer need to use human labor to do because you have a tool to do it often or that it will facilitate those things. So, like, any, any kind of tool that, like, before you had to dig by hand and now you've got something that can do it more efficiently, for instance. Yeah, actually, you don't necessarily need that there was someone doing that process, some, um, some human force doing that process before, and then you automate it, then you have automation, that, that you have automation. Uh, actually, there are also some automatic processes that uh, are just um, doing a task that before uh, wasn't doing uh, done by 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 human. So yeah, it's in general an automatic process that doesn't require. I, I suppose I should yeah. I should rephrase that as it yeah. would have required someone to ah, do it yes. if it was going to be yes. done. But you're right. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. No, it's only because it has uh, actually um, uh, this distinction is actually um, so important. Uh, um, impact also on uh, the economics yes. and the employment uh, uh, yes. results of it. Why is it important? It's because if uh, a kind of um, uh, automation is replacing some job that was already existent and already uh, done by humans, then of course it has uh, an impact on uh, employment and just job uh, displacement. While if uh, it is doing something that was uh, not done by human or done very little, okay, then at least we don't uh, observe the same. Yeah, I mean, in, in the context we're talking now, in a modern context, we do tend to be talking about more technological, advanced machinery or advanced computing or that kind of stuff. But I do think it is important, like you say, Virginia, to, to point out that it's not new in a certain sense. You can have very simple things that automate processes. But is just out of curiosity, is a windmill a, a automation, or does it require steam or electricity, or like where, where does the historical line for automation go here? I I would say a windmill, like in the in the broadest definitional sense, a windmill would uh, count as automation because you were taking uh, power from the wind and applying that to a process of grinding corn that previously, before you had windmills. Um, you would have required to do by hand or, and this is kind of the halfway step, by animal power. You would have had an animal turning a mill. Right. Um, which you could argue is also a kind of automation. So if, if we have a very broad uh, definition of it, it's, it's maybe a process that we've been contending with for, for a long time, actually. But obviously things are maybe happening quicker now or, um, or I don't know, what, what kind of elements that sort of make automation relevant now that maybe have been uh, irrelevant before or I don't know why are we talking about automation right now I think a big thing right now is computing and the power of computing and what we're doing with it because there's a lot of processes now that can be to some degree automated and you can argue how effective they are and how much you need to adjust the work processes but but things that just simply even 50 years ago just would have required a, a person to do um, that can now be 
through through you've got you've got AI's automation, but you can also do things in warehouses or with industrial robots or that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think maybe we'll get into that a bit later. But I, I think there's a lot of developments in machinery and uh, machine learning and AI and robotics and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. that, that that are very important now that have an impact now, especially in the current economic context. Would you would you say it's it's accurate that maybe the technology of automation is accelerating uh, and maybe at an exponential rate, so it becomes more and more relevant, quicker and quicker, maybe. Is that a, a about, good way of phrasing About that, I think that there are some um, mixed opinions um, because I think that we have already witnessed, uh, okay, we, not, not uh, we <laughs> as persons, but uh, as the human race, uh, okay, uh, we have already witnessed uh, 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 exponential uh, acceleration uh, uh, with the first industrial revolution, or also yeah, with the second or, or the or the third. So I think it's from there that uh, we started uh, seeing uh, a very uh, a much uh, faster uh, change, and then also people worrying about it and people talking about it while they didn't do before. And then about uh, this uh, new automation wave about artificial uh, intelligence. Actually, there are, um, there are people who say that uh, we are going to see uh, a very dramatic acceleration uh, in uh, growth and the productivity, but there are also people who say that uh, this wave of automation is not as um, radical as the previous ones that we, that we had, so that, uh, so that we are not going to uh, have the same uh, growth and um, and amount of new jobs and opportunities as we had before. Yeah, I think obviously there's the technological thing going on now, but yes, there are people like I'm just reading this book called Automation and the Future of Work by Aaron Beninav, and despite what the name says, he actually argues that the, the productivity gains of automation haven't actually been that great. The way we see things is is um, to do with the fall in output versus the. There have been productivity gains, but there's people who who debate how much it's a thing or how fast it's happening, and also how viable it is. Like, yes, maybe it's technically possible, but is it going to happen? I, I think there's, the debate's still out. There's some very profound research by. Um, Carl Benedict Frey and stuff that's predicted like up to 47% of certain jobs will be automated. There's some people who, who debate it. I think the issue now is that, yes, we have these new technologies that have been disrupting the way we live. Like information technologies, especially in the last 20 years, um, have, have been huge in the way we interact. They've, they've created whole new forms of interaction um, and disrupted a lot of the traditional ways. Like even if, I mean, this doesn't really fall under necessarily automation, but but things like news cycles and that kind of stuff. Um, and also that we're living in an economic period where growth is running into issues, there's deindustrialization, there's all that kind of stuff which makes people worried about, about jobs and there's increasing precarity. Um, and also that to get into the more economic sides of things with, with capital returns declining, investing in automation could become one way for, for capitalists to reinvest their capital, which would, in the long run, um, potentially produce some uh, some labor results. Although whether that's going to happen or not is is a, a more complex question. Okay, so in this topic, we're we're maybe not exactly sure what will happen, and, mm. and we might actually be worrying about a lot of things for no reason, maybe. Or, or what's your sense yeah. of this? Uh, um, it 
it might be, but uh, it might also be that uh, that we're not worrying enough. Yeah, I mean, I think I think th- like things are changing in how we do things. That's that's undebatable, and we have to work out where we're going. Yeah. Um, I think, and this is this is the the complicated thing that some people, like a lot of the left accelerationists. Um, who are the uh, so that's people like Aaron Bastani, who did fully automated luxury communism. Uh, it's people like Nick Chernichek and Alex Williams, who did Inventing the Future. They're very like, okay, automation is going to come and it's going to decouple some fundamental things to do with scarcity in our economies. Um, and because of that decoupling, and the de- decoupling is already happening, they're often there with information technology, like because you can scarcity online is kind of. Um, artificial in the sense that you can copy information it doesn't cost anything to to copy information so it's already their argument is already disrupting certain um certain scarcity things which will disrupt the economy it'll bring on this more utopian world often there's some people who say it's not actually happening or that there'll be there'll be issues or how is it going to happen under um under different economic systems is important i tend to be one of those and there's also a very good book called four futures by peter phrase which is a very simple book but he does it he's sort of sort of a thought experiment showing that there's a, a variety of different outcomes that could come from this mm. um that could be very extremely positive or very extremely negative there'll probably be some combination of the two but it depends it's contingent right. on a lot of different political social cultural factors and how we approach them and i think that's why it's important because things are changing we're obviously at a crisis stage in multiple different areas and this is one element of those areas um, which is why i mentioned in a lot of debates yeah no but it makes sense because i think when a lot of people hear automation it has a bit of a a sci-fi ring to it and it maybe sounds like something we don't really need to worry about but hopefully i and i think uh, during this podcast here we will and maybe the listeners also will have a bit more of an idea of how um, automation might impact society and our lives in a very concrete way. Um, and you mentioned this thing with jobs uh, mm. just now, Adam. Uh, maybe maybe we should transition into into that, Eric. To what extent do you think uh, automation will replace humans in the jobs that exist today? In general, many researchers think that uh, uh, at least half of the current jobs can be uh, replaced. And that, uh, yeah, um, more or less every field will be at least partially automated uh, to a um, smaller or a bigger uh, degree. In general, there is consensus that uh, the high, the most high-skilled workers uh, will be the ones who keep their jobs uh, to some extent, uh, especially the people who will be able to program or design or be creative and then working, uh, work with the machines. So it will be the one that uh, um, will have a job that will be complementary uh, to, the, um, to the machines, to the robots. Uh, so they will be the ones whose uh, wages will probably increase uh, very much as uh, much as uh, the automation will be relevant in uh, future eco- economics. Um, on the other hand, um, also very low-skilled uh, labor as uh, dog walkers or security or cleaners um, will probably not very easily be automated. Um, can, can I ask uh, why? Yeah, it's just uh, how the... Um, how current automation is developing. 
So it's not that we're just making machines that can do certain tasks. You also have to change the conditions in which those tasks are carried out oftenly. So like in a warehouse that's very neatly stacked and everything, mm. you can make a, I mean, it's still very complicated, but like a fairly simple machine that goes to this slot and does this. I think in a lot of those conditions, like with dock workers, it's a very messy, contingent environment that's harder to automate in those ways because there's a lot of unforeseen... Like you've, I mean, even with self-driving cars, you've seen the amount of difficulties they've run into. Mm. Now, imagine there's lots of people moving around, there's ships, there's cargo containers, there's all kinds of stuff. I think there's an element of that. I think there's also an economic element, which might be... Well, I'll get into that later. Yeah, yeah. So there are also some um, yeah, low-skilled uh, jobs that uh, uh, still need uh, human supervision, okay? Especially if they... Um, require taking care of other people or other animals, and that is uh, currently difficult to be done uh, entirely uh, by a machine. While the, um, the sector, uh, this class of jobs that is probably going to uh, suffer the most from automation is uh, uh, the middle-low uh, skilled uh, jobs. Uh, so, we, yeah, in general, we foresee that uh, uh, then people will be pushed either on the high-skilled jobs or the low-skilled jobs, so increasing uh, uh, inequalities even more than today. I see. But is it? Can you define some or? Because I mean, what exactly does automation do, and why are some jobs in jeopardy while others persist? Uh, what it, what exactly is it that automation can do that it can do so much better than than humans? The um, class of jobs that is most likely to be automated or is already being automate, automated is uh, office jobs, administrative uh, tasks, yeah, works uh, in, um, in shops. So all, um, all the, th all the um, jobs that require routine uh, tasks. Uh, just to build on that, like a lot of what industrialization did uh, and the way our work processes, which still are based off industrialized techniques, Uh, worked was to try and make people more like machines, right? That's what the assembly line is. Instead of like one person builds a whole car, they just repeat the same very simple task, right? And by and the kind of jobs that we put in those frames, they're much easier to automate because it's, you just have to get the thing doing one single task rather than getting a machine that can assemble an entire car. You build a machine that does this bolt, you build a machine that does that. Mm -hmm. So I think there's uh, there's that element in it. So in those jobs that are yeah routine, like you say, yes. um, that are like also dealing with huge amounts of data. So it's also entry level jobs I've heard, like lawyers, a lot of entry level lawyer positions. It's just like reading through case studies and reading through all this stuff, which with machine learning, Uh, there's arguments about how effective it is, but you can do that quite efficiently. So the and the high level lawyers don't need to deal with that, but the entry level lawyers might, right. for instance. Um, but is it maybe then? Uh, does it maybe make more sense to to talk about this uh, topic of, you know, which jobs will be replaced? Is it maybe more sensible to look at what kind of tasks are being done mm. rather than the status of the of the job? Like for for example, I think uh, radiologists from what I can tell, is, is one profession that mm -hmm. is very likely to disappear quickly. As from what I can understand, it, the role of the doctor in that setting is to analyze pictures and look for tumors, I think. <laughs> I might be revealing my uh, lack of knowledge on this, on, uh, on this specific uh, topic here. But I think, in, in essence, they're trying to uh, analyze pictures uh, and find uh, anomalies, which it, it turns out computers are 
Yeah, very, deep, very good. At yeah, mind. deep learning now is developing uh, a lot of techniques, techniques uh, in uh, analyzing uh, and getting data from pictures. So, I, yes. I will. I mean, maybe we'll get on deep learning later, but I will say one issue with that is that it, it doesn't actually like learn from doing. It learns from data. So you still like if you need like a ton of historical data. Um, often for, for people right. to do in a lot of those conditions. I'm not sure in the radiologist one. But I think also in your question, okay, you're saying which jobs are going to be replaced. I think you can also usefully divide that up and say, which jobs might we technically be able to replace and which jobs economically in our current system will we be afforded to replace and like which jobs might we consider it desirable to replace. Because right. there's also something like technology isn't just like this big blanket thing that advances, like they make choices about which technology to choose and which technology to develop further and where to put your effort. So there's a lot of technology, there's a lot of stuff being pumped into right now, surveilling workers in Amazon warehouse. But you know, there's a lot of technologies or development pumped into that, or like into the, like Uber app stuff, um, rather than necessarily replacing those workers, but try and push them to be more efficient um, because that's the, the economic system we exist in. And like there's, Jobs that I think, yes, repetitive jobs might be easy, easy to replace, whatever they are. But then there's the question of whether it's economically viable to replace those jobs or economically desirable from a capitalist society perspective to replace those jobs. Because if you can find cheaper labor to do those jobs um, and use automation to sort of just push people to be more productive, in the long run probably not be more productive, then, then that's probably what's going to happen under this current system. Uh, in, in another system, you might think, okay, what jobs do we not want to do? We'll develop a lot more technology in that direction. Mm. Um, and those will have different outcomes, depending on how it's, it's politically framed. Because right. um, there might be jobs that are easy to automate, or even that are totally unnecessary, but that we keep because the people who have them have a lot of political influence, for instance. Right. Um, or they're a core constituency in a, in a demographic, or something like that, you know? Um, so it's it's not only a, a question of what is possible or what is you know strictly rational from a uh, like um, efficiency standpoint of view. It's there's also an element of incentives and uh, and maybe profits as well, uh, which uh, affects what jobs will probably uh, be automated soon. Yes, yes, and uh, yeah. While uh, yeah, it might be that um, a task is. Uh, entirely possible to be automated, but then it is not because it's not uh, economically convenient because uh, probably the machine will cost more uh, than the labor. Um, but on the other hand, uh, there are also some tasks that uh, are more expensive, maybe are more expensive to run uh, with machines and you don't gain so much in productivity uh, while replacing uh, um, workers with the machines, but um, but they still uh, do it. And it's because uh, um, in some cases, actually the incentives for uh, automation are stronger than incentives for workers, because uh, maybe there are some discrepancies in uh, taxation that make uh, um, labor um, taxed more than uh, capital. So it, there, are, there is this distortion for which uh, then it's more convenient to uh, buy um, technology than to uh, hire a new worker, uh, even though uh, the, um, the machine is not uh, more efficient than the worker. Or also uh, there might be concerns about uh, 
uh, what will uh, the worker claim for himself or herself because uh, uh, yeah, a machine will not have the same uh, expectations about uh, uh, rights or maternity leave or uh, will not complain uh, if there is a wage cut. So this is also something that uh, can um, um, be an incentive for uh, uh, employers to buy a machine instead of a worker, even though the machine is more expensive. Right. So less of a hassle because with a human you have to deal with, you know, basic needs and, and emotions and <laughs> all sorts of impractical things. And I think this is also why it's really important to talk about this topic. Maybe there's things we want to do with automation so that we can do other things than jobs. But also if it happens within our current system because of those incentives, it could change the structure. You know, we've, we've seen for a long time that the power of labor has been weakened. Unions have been in a weaker position. Precaritization has happened. If you have more and more automation, that further weakens the power of workers to, you know, to go on strike, to do that kind of stuff. They're not necessary. The extreme situation would be workers are no longer necessary. I don't think realistically that's going to happen. But there could be a lot more precarity in the labor market, as we've seen already with a lot of jobs, like people in, are less able to claim protections or better wages or whatever because there's more comp competition for fewer jobs or it's easier to just replace them. Mm -hmm. So it could be a, you know that balance which will slowly um, suppress wages and concentrate power. And that's the other issue, which is like, if that happens under a capitalist system, you'll get someone like Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or whatever, They'll invest and invest and invest and invest. Uh, I mean, this happened with Uber. They were using the money they got from the app while all their workers were doing a bunch of work to try and invest in self-driving cars to make those workers redundant, right? Mm -hmm. Because that way they can make profits and they don't have to, to push so much stuff out. And this will just further increase this thing that we're always talking about, which is the power of a very narrow elite. Because basically, if you can replace labor with capital, which is what you can do with automation... Um, then you cut that element out of the equation and you concentrate more and more power in people who have all of the capital. Um, so it could lead to a, an even deepening concentration of power and wealth, um, which could have broader effects on our society. Right. Um, which is related to the job thing, um, but I think that's also very important. That's the other side of it. On the one hand, you have people potentially losing their jobs, but on the other hand, you have a concentration of power, which puts people in a much worse position. So a big worry for a lot of people in terms of automation is... It's what you're saying, like, will we have jobs? Um, and, uh, you know, what will happen to those of us who don't have jobs? Um, do you think it's likely that there will always be jobs for humans to do? Or is this, does this topic touch in on, on maybe a more um, um, sort of profound uh, change in society uh, as we move forwards? Um, I think that um, mm, if there will be jobs for everyone in the future also depends on uh, which kind of um, change is going to um, artificial intelligence uh, do in uh, the current economic structure. So if this wave of automation is going to create uh, a totally different economical structure with uh, uh, a lot of new jobs that we cannot imagine uh, now like uh, the first uh, industrial revolution did and in this case uh, yes there will be probably jobs for everyone there will be only jobs new jobs that now don't exist that will be created by the new wave of uh, automation uh, but uh, on the other hand if um, 
the current wave of automation is just going to replace existing tasks, but not going to create um, anything new, uh, no new sector, no new tasks, then uh, no, we are going only to be always fewer and fewer people employed. Mm -hmm. do, do you think there are any jobs that, that people uh, should do or, or only people can do? So I have a quite complicated answer to your first question, <laughs> uh, right. which, which builds on what Virginia is saying. So the, 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 the classic capitalist answer is, okay, new technolo technological innovation will create jobs. We'll have new jobs, and that'll be great. Everyone will be employed. Uh, fantastic. That's, that's the, the constant argument for growth, right? Growth will, yes, it maybe messes things up, um, but... It will create new jobs and everything will be fine in the long run. It's a weird thing where you're kind of running two things at the same time and hoping that growth kind of runs faster than the destruction of stuff. So the, the classic capitalist answer to the economists will say, it'll create new jobs. I would say to that, not necessarily. You never know exactly what, what conditions will emerge. Like I say, it might be precarity of labor. Also, you don't know that those jobs will necessarily be desirable. You know, will they be in good conditions? Will be the kind of jobs that people want to do? You don't know that those jobs will be necessary if it's just make work because we have this economic system and we could have a different, you know, more luxury oriented or more free time because we're stuck in the system where you need to pay capital owners for whatever. Uh, that's one of the scenarios of the Four Futures book that I mentioned, where you have sort of a entirely rentier capitalist economy where, OK, everything can be reproduced really cheaply, which you pretty much can online, like data can be reproduced. But you have to constantly pay for subscriptions to things or pay for access to like a copyright. or And that's also why intellectual property has exploded uh, in recent years, because that's a way of protecting the, the, you know, the, the capital there. Um, so they might not, you know, you might be in a condition where you, we, you have to work shitty jobs that you don't want to work just because that's the economic system. And you don't have to work just because that's the economic system we have. Um, I'd also point out, and we talked about this earlier, Virginia, but it, he also mentions it in the book, uh, Carl Benedict Frey and the Technology Trap. I have issues with his, his book because I think he misses out. He talks about the, the Industrial Revolution. I think he misses out a bit the role of colonialism and later the, about, uh, as far as I've read, uh, about uh, the labor movement for improving conditions. But as he does point out, yes, in the long run, the Industrial Revolution produced jobs. But in the, and I would say that's also partially because of the labor movement. But, you know, for hundreds of years, the conditions of workers in in, in Great Britain were worse than they had been before. People's lives were shorter. They lived in slums. It was awful. Um, so it's not necessarily a given that the conditions will be good. And then also, building on that, I would I would say then we have to question: Are jobs or working or the way we think about jobs desirable? I think people have an inherent tendency to want to do stuff. Right? That you can see that around. People get bored. They want to do things. Um, but but do this current system where we have to work a job for our basic needs. Is that necessarily desirable in all conditions if we have the abundance to do without that? Would it be better if we were a system where people could choose more to, or to engage in more care work or more that? Could you maybe explain a little bit why? Because it sounds weird that you would work just because you need to work. Like how, this is system you're referring to, how, yeah. how does this work? Why, why are jobs necessary if the product of the job or mm -hmm. the labor is not necessarily um, you know, productive. So we are so entrenched in a capitalist system where most people have to work because if they don't, they can't meet their basic needs, right? Mm. 
because the current reigning economic orthodoxy is that we're all profit motivated effectively and that's the only reason we do stuff but a lot of people still choose to do activities outside of that or choose to do jobs that are more difficult or that are different because they're passionate about that right we're here today no one's paying us to be here today we're here today because we think it's important it's not like problems are just going to go away there'll still be social problems there'll still be the need for care we'll still have social lives and that depends on all kinds of conditions we still want to do things that like fundamentally people enjoy doing stuff mm. but i have a really good quote actually from uh, arthur c clark famous science fiction author uh, he said, the goal of the future is full unemployment so we can play. That's why we have to destroy the present politico-economic system. He also said, the greatest single occupation of the future will be education. The second greatest occupation will be entertainment. I think the two should be synonymous. So I think that's also his kind of answer. Um, and there's also stuff from, from Keynes of Keynesian economics. He had a bunch of quotes about how we would want to work. So, so his worry, writing in, I think, the mid-50s, he was certain that the productivity gains that we did in the end get, well, we distribute them more evenly, which we could have done. We have the, the capital, but we, we haven't done that because of the economic system. He was convinced that like one of the problems would be, well, everyone would want to work, so we'd need to spread out the work more evenly. He used the term, the old Adam will be so strong in us that everyone will need to get some work if he is to be contented. I assume Adam is, you know, the like, drive to work. But he talks about like three-hour shifts or a 15-hour work week. Mm. But I think for me, that's kind of one answer of, of how you'd approach that. There will be work, but how you approach that is important. Yeah, about the, um, what we lack of work, uh, at least in the sense we are used to think about it now, uh, mean uh, for a person, uh, more psychologically. I have um, read another interesting point uh, from uh, A World Without Work uh, by Thompson, who says, uh, who points out that um, that uh, right now we are very used to, to, to think about uh, yeah, formal employment, full-time employment or unemployment as a, a binary thing, a black and white thing, but uh, mm, that it has not always been like that because before the Industrial Revolution, uh, people uh, didn't have formal, uh, many people at least didn't have formal uh, jobs, so they were doing uh, home uh, Tasks, uh, yeah, agriculture, sewing, yeah, um, but it was not uh, uh, a full-time employment as we think about it now. Okay, but still, people had plenty of things to do even uh, during the worst uh, uh, crisis. Uh, so that actually the problem, the also on a psychological point of view of uh, unemployment, is something that. Uh, we started to perceive only after uh, the beginning of uh, factory work. Uh, so, so after the beginning of capitalism, then, as, you, as Adam said, that uh, it's a very uh, capitalist uh, way of uh, seeing it. So, I, um, so according to a world without work, um, it, when uh, um, there will be, um, when uh, most of the tasks that we know now will be automated, then uh, the life of people will be more similar to what were life of people in the 18th century. Uh, so, no, yeah, at least this is uh, his point of view. In the, yeah, at least, in, at least uh, because there will not be formal jobs as uh, there have been um, since the Industrial Revolution. Yeah, and I think that's the thing, the Industrial Revolution, it introduced also like some ideological things around work, but also that you needed to have a job to meet your basic needs and that the enclosure of the commons and taking people off common land, that was a key element in that, to force people to work in factories. Mm -hmm. 
And also, we live in a society that has made everything sort of e economicized, to use a horrible term. But like unpaid labor, like household labor, women do a ton of household labor um, that's still unpaid today. Is that not meaningful? Is raising children not meaningful? Is caring for your family not meaningful? Like, and also a lot of the stuff that maybe we, econ I mean, maybe we'll get into this a bit more later, but like a lot of the stuff like, okay, you know, in Denmark, I noticed in, a, in blocks of flats, instead of ha hiring in cleaners, often people in the blocks, they'll have a rotor to clean the stairs, right? And little things, maintaining our community, maintaining our social networks that have often been dis disaggregated by economics, by trying to reduce everything to economics, I think might be, might be an essential part of that. Because also there's a lot of jobs that now like, you know, they're undesirable jobs, but people need money, for instance, that maybe can't be automated, so we'll share them more equally. Or that, you know, there's, there's a lot of different things we can do um, that, that are either economicized now, which I hate that term, but I can't think of a better term, mm. or, or the, that are unpaid now, but that we could actually, you know, a lot of people don't spend enough time with their families. Um, so, so it sounds like what you're saying, at least in part, is that automation might uh, be on a collision course with how we perceive work today and jobs today. Yeah, I mean, and I'd, I'd also like to point out, historically speaking, um, now we're used to the 35-hour work week or whatever it is yeah. in Denmark. They fought for shorter working hours. There was a movement called the 888 thing, which was about having eight hours of rest, eight hours of sleep, and eight hours of work, mm. which was the thing. And up until really historically recently, one of the main things of the labor movement wasn't with, with, with like what would happen with the increased productivity, wasn't um, raising wages necessarily. It was reducing the working week, which they consistently did. So the only reason we have as, as short a working week as we do is because people fought for it. But like a lot of people took it for granted. Yes, you'd want more leisure time. That would be a sensible thing to plow stuff into. Now we live in the society that's obsessed with work as if like, unless it's paid labor, it doesn't mean anything. Obviously, scarcity in, in food and, uh, you know, production in general. It'd be nice if we can uh, do away with that. We don't necessarily need to work tedious jobs, like it would be nice to do, to do without. But it sounds like from what, what you're saying that automation clashes a little bit with the system that we have today. And also, obviously, automation has uh, potential to uh, create more inequality. Uh, and so there are some problematic aspects of automation that has maybe more to do with how we um, apply automation and, and who gets to, to use it, right? So um, how do you imagine that we might tackle these, these problems going forwards? I think that there are uh, many different approaches and also, that also depend on uh, how the future is really going to be. But um, reading the article Automation and the Inequalities by Norton, I, um, I could read at least uh, three uh, categories of um, uh, measures to address inequalities. The first is... Uh, pre-distribution, so how to distribute wealth before uh, the labor, so how to enhance the possibility for everyone to work with automation, that, uh, that is mainly education, so like that, um, that not only few people will have the skills to work uh, and program uh, machines, because this is a very crucial uh, point, that, um, that the skills required to work will change and that everybody or more people will have the possibility to work with that. Then there, are, there is a distribution within the labor market and that is about making automation uh, available uh, for everyone. So uh, enhancing digital infrastructures where there are not. So maybe especially in uh, poor countries or poor contexts. And then there are the post distribution solutions that uh, 
deal with the uh, redistribution of wealth. So from uh, taxes to more radical solutions like uh, uh, universal basic income. In general, a robot tax uh, would be useful to limit the excessive automation. So all the cases uh, that I mentioned before, in which machines are just um, bought because they create less problems than workers, but they don't really enhance productivity much. So this distortion will be limited by robot taxes. I think that taxation would be uh, would need to change in a way that includes more taxation on wealth, because um, in a future where automation will be uh, dominant in the work system, then the, the importance of wealth over labor, wealth will be way more important than labor in this uh, future economic system. So we need uh, a way to account uh, for wealth in a, um, a better way than we do uh, now. And, um, and also, yeah, we, if the taxes are going to stay uh, like now, we will have uh, an always lower um, tax base because there will be always fewer people working or working for uh, fewer hours. So we will not have uh, much power to redistribute wealth if, uh, we, are, if we don't have that tax base. Mm. So, so it sounds like uh, at least some of the things that you are um, talking about here sort of stays within the confines of, of the capitalist society or system as we know it right now. Yes, this what what I what I just talked about. Uh, yeah, is um, yeah our solutions on how to uh, account for a, a changing uh, mm. working structure. Okay, with the tools that we have uh, used uh, until now. Yeah. To, to, to talk to those solutions, I do think often, you know, obviously we have to work with what we have. Um, but I think one key thing in any solution that works within the realms of capitalism, I guess two key issues. One is that it's working on a logic of scarcity that isn't necessarily there anymore. And two is that often the power of labor, for instance, has been uh, the ability to strike. And that's what has forced changes. Whereas if you don't have that anymore, if the... if Okay, there's a lot of doubts around how much will be automated. But assuming a lot of stuff is automated uh, and you do it under a capitalist system, that gives them more and more power, which it, then I think the danger would be, okay, well, you can just pressure the government into changing things. So it's not necessarily a sustainable solution, I would argue. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the counter-solutions don't really address the fundamental issue of, of power and economic power, which is already very powerful, but which I would argue would be more so. But yeah, I, th I think a lot of, and that's where the... Um, the sort of left accelerationists come in. And I disagree with them on that it's inevitable, but I agree with them in some sense. They say that, like, the, yes, automation is the way because it disrupts that fundamental logic of scarcity, that, that things are necessarily scarce and you have to pay for them. Uh, so the alternative is is rentier capitalism or there's a, there's a way out of that uh, through what you might call a, a post-scarcity uh, economy. What that might look like... <laughs> I mean, that's a big question. I think that really, and that's why I think uh, the Four Futures book is really good, for instance, because he gives at least two options of the like more utopian one and two options of the more dystopian, where you sort of keep the hierarchies of capitalism. But for instance, solutions that might be external are socialization. 
Um, so in the most basic form, you could nationalize all the robots. That's problematic too. We've seen historically. I wouldn't really like that. But let's say we go, okay, instead of like allowing people who have a lot of wealth to decide what machines get bought, what machines get built, what they produce, you have some system where it's democratically controlled. Why not, right? So that's that's one solution. Democratically owned and democratically decided the specifics are uh, complicated as always. Um because that would sort of, yeah, help even out the, the power distribution as long as people had access to it and had a say in it, which I think would fit with the supposed values of our society. Automation have some very um, uh, positive promises from what you're saying. One uh, hopeful view of the future is that uh, leisure and work will somehow melt together to be this existence that is nice and uh, you have uh, <laughs> you know you have food on the table and the house above your head right yeah these uh, these only if the economic system will actually take care of the people without a job I th and i think that's the key thing right it's a possibility with automation as it was a possibility with also industrialization i think mm -hmm. in the right political conditions to improve a lot of people's lives i don't think it's a given that automation is going to give us these things right. i think it's possible and the, as right. such we should question Yeah. Like how we think about work and why we believe it's so desirable to work all the time, as if that's where all meaning in our lives comes from. Right. Well, that's all we have time for for now. Thank you so much for coming, both of you, Adam and uh, Virginia. Thank you. And for your insights. You. My name is still Edward. And if you thought this episode was interesting, there are plenty more on this channel already and more to come in the future. This podcast is made in collaboration with Mellomfaglet Samvege, which is a Danish NGO that works for a more just and sustainable world. You can come down to Café Mellanfalk every day, but Sunday for amazing food, drinks and events in a cozy café run by our lovely volunteers. You can also get involved with our events, activities and campaigns, and even running the café as a volunteer yourself. Thank you everyone for listening in, and until next time, goodbye.